0: Size in his life, so he decided to buy a bike and start to, to ride it. And he found out that he loved riding and he loved cycling. And he found incredible joy in going to the countryside and the hills and being outside in the fresh air. And so eventually he bought uh, clip-on shoes to clip onto his bike because, you know, cyclists need better, you know, you can't just pedal like we did as a kid. Right? You need to pedal up and pedal down, to pull and push at the same time to get most efficiency out of it. Then he need spandex shorts that have that little bike seat built into it, uh, so you can sit properly on that seat. That's important. And then, you know, he needed a speedometer. He needed to know how fast he goes. He bought a speedometer that goes onto his bike, and he bought some more gadgets, because, you know, uh, a biker and a cyclist need some more gadgets. And he bought a pulse rate monitor so he could see how his heart's doing as he's biking, so he can get the maximum exercises, and then he actually got, you know, a, there's a device that, that actually can read the incline of the hill, so he can know how steep and how much he's working out, out on his bike and the level of it, and then he's, there's, there's other gauges he bought for his bike, I and mean, his whole front is this filled of gauges, and he became like a, a really serious bicyclist, like this is, this is not a, a joyous thing, this is a serious thing, and then, and then he was told, listen, if you're a real serious cyclist, you've got to listen to the right music. And apparently, the right music for a serious cyclist to keep that, that rhythm in going and that heart rate going is hard rock music, he was told. Which makes sense, right? You need to listen to some Queen, uh, right? To, to, to cycling properly. And so he became a serious cyclist. And he even ventured to start entering into races and was competitive with this. And this was a serious hobby. And then, bam, what happens to any serious cyclist? You fall off, you get wrecked. And he ruined his bike, along with some other injuries. So he had to borrow a friend's bike, and his friend's bike didn't have any gadgets at all. And he decided to ride even without music with his friend's bike. And for the first time in a long time, he actually enjoyed himself. And he was surprised how much he forgot to enjoy his hobby, to love what he was doing. And he was writing for the pure joy of writing. How many of us have become too serious? Too serious at work? Too serious at home? Perhaps we're, we're overly budget conscious. Everything has to be exact Within the budget we create. I mean, budgets are good, don't get me wrong. Create a budget, stick to your budget, be right? But you're just like, everything's about the budget. Or maybe everything is about your growth and how you're growing as a worker and how you're growing in, in your job and your career and how you're proceeding with it. Or you're overly goal conscious. These are the goals in my life and I need to accomplish them. And so you're serious about this. So much so that all your seriousness that you've forgotten to enjoy, all the moments in between. It's not a problem being goal conscious. It's not a problem being growth conscious. It is a problem not enjoying things. Even with our relationship with God, right? There's an immediate joy when we really start to have a relationship with God. When God finds us for the first time Right, there's a joy, there's exuberance in this relationship. But then we get serious. We get serious about our faith. We get serious about our relationship. We get serious Bible study, right? We're reading the scriptures, and so we're serious Christians. We're serious about our growth in the fruits of the Spirit, and right? the, the, the fruits that come out of us. What does it appear Or we become serious about being involved at the church. I'm a serious member and part of the body of Christ. I am involved more than anyone. And you get serious about your relationship with God and all the disciplines that it requires. And in your seriousness with your relationship with God, which it is okay to do all those things. In fact, I encourage them. But in your seriousness, have you forgotten the joy of being known and knowing God, the day in and day out, joy of that. Have you forgotten the joy of being loved and loving? In your seriousness, have you forgotten joy? We are taught to be serious as kids. to grow up, to be adult and be serious, to put childish things away, to settle down. We are taught by the things that we actually seek joy in in this world, the things that cannot satisfy us, that bring fleeting joy. They teach us because when, we, when that joy disappears and it doesn't last, we are taught that things don't satisfy us and don't bring us joy and that joy isn't worth it. So we become serious. In our world, our sin, our age, our culture eventually zaps the joy from us. Our ways, the way in which we live life, rob joy from us. The way we pursue joy removes joy from us. Our way. Proverbs 16, 25 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, it leads to death. You see, the way of this world, the way in our mind, the way of our culture, the way that says, you need to be this and do this, and this is how you do it. That way leads to death. Never life. And it removes us from joy. The Spirit tells us, in, in Jeremiah 21, 8, And to his people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. There's a choice. You can go the way of your heart and the way the world tells you, or you can go the way of life. The way of life will lead to joy. The way of life is joyous. It's not easy, but it is joyous. The way of the world and the way of your heart will lead to death and remove joy from you. Jesus says in John 14, 16, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's telling you, I am the way of joy. I am the way of life. Following Jesus, relating to the Spirit inside of us, leads us to a way that produces, right. you know the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy. The Spirit is love and joy. If there is no joy, you are lacking the fruit of the Spirit. You are lacking the fruit of the Spirit. And in it, it goes on before, in Ephesians 5, 8-9, for at one time you were in darkness in your way, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. So that fruit of the Spirit it's found in this way. And that fruit, one of those fruits, is joy. Joy. In this, what I will call a preamble to the epilogue of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> This is what this is. A preamble to the epilogue in Ecclesiastes. Solomon begins to summarize the point of his whole book. This wisdom and which he's sharing with us. Solomon has been telling us in our current situation, in the light of our certain death, and in the knowledge that we do not know when that death will happen, the uncertainty of that timing, the question that Solomon is summarizing for us in this preamble is before your death, how will you live when you're young? Before your death, how will you live when you are old? And before your death, how will you live right now? How will you live regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances? Because ultimately no one escapes death. Right? The wise or the unwise, the good or the evil, we all share that we will die. We just don't know when. And the answer for this, before we die, how will we live? He gives us two answers. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be joyful today, right now, no matter what your circumstances is. Be joyful. And the second thing is, remember Today, before you die, remember who you are. And remember who God is. Be joyful and remember. We are to live today rejoicing. Rejoice. And rejoicing doesn't necessarily mean a smile. Rejoicing doesn't mean yippee! I'm happy. Happy that this is happening right now. There's a there's a depth to joy. There's a depth to joy which we'll talk about. Ecclesiastes 11:8 through 10. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all in every year. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Right? I, I, love, I love this. Like listen, right? The whole point of what Solomon is saying is that that it's all vanity. Meaning it's not meaningless. But it's all short. It's relative. It's temporal. And he says, look it. You will be dead longer than you will be alive. (laughs) In the scope of eternity. Now we know there's something after. We know that there's a redemption. There's a resurrection. In all of this. But for Psalm is explaining very quickly. Your moment in which God gives you is very short. Be joyful in every moment. In every age. In every year of your life. And goes on to say. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice O young man. In your youth. And let your heart cheer you. In your days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. And the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things. God will bring you into judgment. Remove remove vexation. It's actually a better translation. I think would be remove evil. Remove evil from your heart. And put away pain from your body, it will remove the evil from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Our certain death should motivate us to live today. The knowledge of our aches and pains of old age should command and inform your bodies what to do today. Right? So, I mean, this is that kind of advocating the Tom Brady method of living, right? Uh, Pliability, which is not a word, by the way, which is not a thing. Someone is not more pliable, one's more flexible. But to do those things, those are good things that help your body later on. It doesn't stop death. It doesn't stop aging. But it makes you maybe a little bit healthier, as healthy as you can be in the circumstances in which you can control those are all good things. But it also, your aches and pains and the struggles that you will see in your body should inform you to be joyful today that you don't have them. And to teach you to be joyful in your circumstance when you do have them. At all stages of our life, old and young, we should rejoice in that age. You ever talk to a parent, you ask him, right? What's the best age of your kids, right? When you're the, how old are your kids? What is the best age that like you just celebrate with them? And here's, what I think, what you learn as a parent. Every age is the best age. I mean, they're great. I mean, you can't replace. They're all different. And they're all great. As they're infants and, and toddlers, and then, you know, as they're kids, and then there's tweens, and then there's teenagers. Like, teenagers are great, too. They're just different. Than toddlers. Well, they have the capacity to do a lot more That's, and to be more defiant uh, in certain ways. But it's all a great age and there's greater relationships. They're all uniquely great, and so it is with your life. Every age is uniquely joyous. And it's not like, oh, I wish I was in high school still, or I wish I still was in my 20s, right? Right? I mean, yes, my, my, my physical body was stronger in my 20s, but I was a lot stupider. <laughs> I was a lot unkinder, right? We, those are things, God, those are gifts in every age that God gives us to rejoice in it. A rejoice in your youth when you have it. Walk in your desires and enjoy the things. That she, and verse 8 wrote, verse 8 says, the best time of your life, So you should be present and rejoice in it. And then verse 9. Rejoice in your youth when you have it. Walk in the desires and enjoy the things that God gives you. This is not a license, it says clearly, right? To do whatever you want or sow your wild oats. It's not what a license to do. Because the next line says he's going to bring judgment to all things. And all things that you do. It is saying, sow oats. Maybe not wild oats. But live life. Be joyful in those things. Enjoy the things that God has given you. All right, and we talk about as a definition of wisdom is skillfully living for God. Skillfully living for God of the things that he's given you. Be joyous in them. And, and skillfully living for God. Wisdom is that it's cre- using the things that God has created them for. And the purpose and the design in which they are. Use them in that way. And it goes on, but know that for all these things God will bring into in judgment. That line should, is a warning. It should, shouldn't make us serious people. Right? We shouldn't read that like, oh man, now I've got to be serious about this. I can't have fun anymore. That's the exact opposite of what he's telling you. God will judge all our pursuits. God will judge the unwise pursuits. And, and this is how he judges us. I want you to hear this very... God is not out to get us. Right? The judgment happens for us at the cross, right? When we come to the judgment day, God's going to review all our things and says your judgment has been paid because Christ has taken all your unwisely living upon him and you'll be judged with his righteousness. That's how our judgment goes, right? And If if you're not accepting what Jesus has done at the cross and who he is, then you will be judged by everything you should do. Then this line should frighten you. But we as though who trust in Jesus should not be frightened. But he is actually not talking about judgment for the unwise living in the ways that we think. The judgment that he's talking about here is that God will mostly judge us whether we will not, whether we are joyful or not. Did you see that the passage here is about joy? Are you joyful? God will judge you if you are joyful and whether you are joyful in, in receiving the gifts in which he has given you. Were you joyful in those things? Did you rejoice in me? Did you rejoice in the things that I give you? Rejoice in here, in this passage, and throughout all scripture, is a command. It's an an imperative. If you don't rejoice, you will be judged. Failure to be joyful is an offense to God. It isn't a mere oversight on our part. When Moses tells the people the curses of the covenant, the curses of the promises and the relationship that he has with his people, God has with his people, here's what he says in Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of things, you're going to receive the punishment of this covenant. It's not a mere oversight. Joy is a command, and not being joyful is an offense to God. Being joyful is the is the action uh, is not the action of of, of a dutiful, uh, ob- obedient heart. That's not what he's saying. Be joyful, and then our response: Okay, right, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to obey God and be joyful. That's not the re- that's not how joy works. Joyful is the response of love. God so loves us that we turn and back and receive that love, that we're so joyous about that love that we love him back. And that joy of receiving that love, that joy of understanding what that love is, the joy of receiving those gifts expressed to God, that is our obedience because it's love. I never want my kids to obey me just to obey me because they fear me. Because they, they fear the consequence. I want them to be in relationship with me and know that I love them dearly. And the way they treat me should be out of love. And my love for them should elicit and excite them to love. In all our relationships, with our spouses, with our friends, with our neighbors, right? It should, our love for them should elicit love back. And should elicit joy back. Love back. Responding to love is joy. You bring joy to God when you respond with joy to his gifts. Now, God is all joyous in all things, right? He doesn't need, like, if you're not joyous, it's like, well, you didn't take something away from God. You didn't take something away from him. It is offense to him, but you didn't take away and didn't lessen his joy. David Gibson in his uh, book *Living Life Backwards*, says this: Real relationship involves seeing another person take pleasure in gifts given. Delight is what we ask of others as we freely give to them. Delight. I give my life for you. I want delight back. I give a simple gift to you. I want joy back. That's the reward for giving a gift: to seeing someone receive it with joy. The foundational understanding of who God is, this, this triune God is, who doesn't need our joy, but wants our joy, wants us to have this joy. Because here's what he, the Father, eternally the Father, graciously and gives to his Son, the eternal Son. This is the eternal happening, right? Because the Father so loves the Son, He graciously gives and creates, and it's all things to the Son eternally. And the Son, so excited about that love, is so joyful about the love of the Father eternally. Gives His life and all things back to the Father because He so loves the Father. God is eternally like this. He, He He is always joyful. Because he's eternally giving in within himself. This is who God is. Because he loves, there is joy in this relationship. He doesn't need anything else. But because of God, this love is so powerful. It's so creative. Right? We talked about love as creative. This love creates the universe. Out of his joy, he creates us. And he continually gives to us. Us, all people. And that response, which the son just illustrates in who he is, is to love him back is joy, is receive it with joy. He wants that for us. Their relationship, the father and son, is not founded on obedience and duty, but love and joy. The more joyful we are, the more like God we are. The less joyful we are, the more demonic we are. Not being joyful is sin. Period. Grumpiness is sin. I know, because I'm pretty good at grumpiness. Grumpiness is seeing the world, your life, your circumstances, not as grace or gift but as a curse from God. God is out to get me. He doesn't necessarily love me. But the truth is, God is not out to get you. He loves you and is giving to you. Grumpiness is ignoring the gift of God at best. At best. Or, at worst, it's deliberately rejecting the gifts of God. Our life's aim is to be joyous in God and the gifts of God. I'll say that again. Our life's aim is to be joyous in the gifts of God and who God is, God himself. We too are enjoy God. We enjoy the things that God gives us in the lifetime because we know that all things God gives us, the giver of all things, the giver of all good things, God gives us to enjoy. He means for our good. My circumstances could be lousy. Your circumstances could be lousy. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be joyful. Because God still is present. Because God is still giving in that moment. And in fact, he might be giving you that circumstance. To learn to be joyful. And here's the question. Are your circumstances worse than the sons on earth? Are your circumstances worse than Jesus when he came to this, this world? He didn't grumble. He didn't complain. I mean, this is the circumstances. The God of the universe, the eternal God, comes man himself lowers himself into this human form, this vain form. And then in this, does the world accept him? No. It rejects him. Does the world love him? No. They abandon him. In fact, they kill him. They persecute him. They spit at him. They all abandon him at the cross. God does this. He comes and he gives. Not because we're worthy. Not because we're gracious. Not because we are grateful. The exact opposite, God gives. God responds because he loves us despite this. God loves us while we are actively his enemies. And we reject him still. Are your circumstances worse than that? He commands us to be joyful. Can you be joyous in the gifts that God gives you today? Can you be joyous in your relationship with God today? He gives himself to you today. Joy starts with gratitude. You're like, it's a command to be joy. How How do I be joyful? It starts with gratitude. Gratitude starts with small things. Don't try to be grateful for the big things. Gratitude in your heart starts with very small things. So you want to be grateful? Start trying to learn to be grateful for the very small things in your life. Uh, the great theologian John Stott, British theologian, uh, he had a, a, John Stott would study in his, um, as he was older, he studied in his office and he had his nephew that would, was in a sense kind of his caretaker with him. John Stott wasn't ever married, didn't have kids. So he had a nephew that would come and be with him and be present and, and care for him. And every afternoon his nephew would bring uh, his uncle a cup of coffee. And as John Stott was writing, he saw that cup of coffee come down, he would say, I am not worthy. And his, his nephew was like, every day, his, John Stott would say, I am not worthy. And eventually his nephew said, "What you, Uncle, man, you are a great man. You are a great theologian. You're a great pastor. You are certainly worthy of a cup of coffee. And, and John Stott said to his nephew, your theology of grace is incorrect. Because you need to understand, you and I are not worthy of anything. And this cup of coffee is an incredible gift. I am not worthy. Thank you. Smart starts with small things. Being grateful for small things in our life. Can you be grateful for small things today? Gratitude in small things grows to gratitude in all circumstances. Gratitude in all circumstances grows to contentment in all circumstances. Which gets us to Philippians 14. I can do all things. In Christ Jesus, which means I can be content in all things because I am grateful in all things. And I am joyous in the gifts given to me today. That I am not worthy of any of them, but I am loved and I receive them. Can you realize that everything is a gift from our good and gracious God? That today, the breath that you take is a gift today your life and is your gift are meant to be enjoyed they're not meant to be conquered it's not meant to be taken seriously although you can be serious and be joyous at the same time but gratefulness towards God begins and ends enjoying him God gives regardless of our gratitude God gives Regardless, we are to be, how we live today, we are to be rejoicing. Rejoicing in the gifts of today. We are to live today remembering, Ecclesiastes 2.1. Remember also, 12.1, uh, remember also your creator and the days of our youth. Before the evil days come, uh, verse 2, before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened. Verse 6 and 7, before the silver cord is snapped. What he's saying is, remember today who God is before you die. Those are all imageries of before death happens. Can you remember who God is? Can you remember that God is this gracious and loving God that gives you all things? Can you remember that today? Can you remember that God is your creator, your gift giver, your provider before your death? Can you remember that he's the provider of all your needs? That he is the provision. Not just the provider. Anxiety in our life is fertilized by the thought that we are providers. Or that we have to provide. And that ultimately that we are in control. The fruit of that knowledge, of that mistaken knowledge, is that we eventually learn that we're not in control. And that we can't provide for our family. And that we can't provide for our spouse. And that we can't provide for anyone else. And we can't even provide for ourselves. And so, when Jesus talks about worry and anxiety and this issue that think we're in control and that we're the we're the gift givers, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not your not life? Not, it's not life. Is not life? Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Here's what Jesus is saying. Is your need is greater than material things. And we get stuck in that. We get stuck that it's the material things that we need and want. And Jesus is clearly saying, is not life more than all the material things? Yes, it is. It's more than that. Poverty. Poverty is always greater than material need. Always greater than material need. And what, one of the other things our needs, we just learned today, one of our biggest needs is joy. Joy. It does not come through any material need. It does not come through any material need. Joy is one of our biggest needs. And then he goes on in verse 30. But if God, closes, God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... There's that vanity. Will not much more more clothe you, O little of faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, those that are not of God. And your Heavenly Father knows that they need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Life starts with his righteousness, with God. Life starts with his gift. Life starts in his kingdom. And then all these things, material things, are are, are a need, right? We, we do need food and water to live in this world. Shelter. We need relationships to live in this world. But God knows our need is greater than the material. That's not to downplay the seriousness of material need. Because there are some drastic issues with material need in this world. And there's lots of reasons why that is. We'll learn more about that later. But it's a serious issue in our world. But God, who provides all good things, gives all that each of us need for eternal life. He knows our needs. He's providing for all of them. Don't seek just the provisions. Seek the provider. Don't just seek material provisions. Seek the provider of all things that we need. Remember who God is. God is gracious. He is loving. He is kind when we don't deserve it. Remember, you are His child. You are His child. Remember, you are a broken, rebellious child that God loves. That's, that His love is not dependent Upon your actions. Towards him. That God is love. And he loves his children. Remember the dynamic of your relationship with God. That God so loved you. That he gave himself. That God so loved us. That while we were enemies. That he gave himself. That God is love. And we are beloved. Remember this today. Seek First, Him. The one that loves. And His provision. When you seek Him first, what you're saying to God, I love you. I love you more than all things. More than anything. Because I know all those things are just gifts. I love you as the giver, first and foremost. That's gratitude too. That's joy. Remember this truth today, before you die. Because you don't know when you'll die. Remember this truth, that this God, this this memory of us will facilitate, this memory of who God is and who we are will facilitate joy in our life. Because if you remember correctly who He is every day and who you are, that will facilitate joy in your life. Before death, how will you live right now? How will you live now regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, regardless that no one escapes death? We will live with joy. We will live with joy because we will remember today who God is and who we are. He is our loving, gracious, giving Father who eternally loves us we are his beloved and he provides everything we need let us not go through life getting too serious that we forget to enjoy him right now that we forget to delight in the provider and the provisions of all that he provides